Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply with all that being said let's start the podcast episode are you looking for real data to analyze an actual problem to solve an experience worth talking about in an interview well in this case study course you get a real-world problem with a messy data set and a business outcome that's on the line. My name is John David, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, a boutique consulting agency that focuses on business analytics. I'm also a professor of analytics at Greensboro College. And in 2021, I had the privilege of combining these two worlds. My real-world Greensboro College students got to work with my Silvertone Analytics clientele for the analytics minor capstone course at Greensboro College. This case study course is modeled after the lessons, the trials, and the tribulations that my students went through in the analytics minor capstone course. My students got to work directly with the president of an organization that is clearing over $150 million in revenue every year. And this case study course keeps the exact same data structures that they worked through in that case study. But I anonymized the data to protect my client's privacy. So are you ready to solve a real-world business use case, build a killer analytics portfolio, and even learn how to communicate these findings in an interview setting? Well, click the Take This Course button now and join me inside. Ash, how's it going, man? Hey, good day, good day, happy Friday. <laughs> so um, we're experimenting with our own ads now, which is new, because YouTube is just not paying out at all. They just slashed the commissions. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I support you. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Everyone's got to earn their bread. And uh, you know what? That's a, that's a really good ad. I think, um, I think it's really cool you got to work with your students uh, like that. Um, I, I did teach uh, a data analytics boot camp at UC Berkeley uh, a few years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that I really, um, that, that I didn't have in that program that I wish I had was uh, some kind of like formal way to work with my students after the fact, uh, you know, so unofficially uh, continue to kind of talk with them and, uh, you know, help them through um, building experience and skills and interviewing and so on. But uh, what you're doing sounds cool. Yeah, well, um, I haven't talked about this on air much, but I'm trying to build an analytics like scene in Greensboro. So, like, some of my former students, um, some of the podcast super fans, and then just people I know in the industry, like, we're going out to get dinner and drinks like once a week, once every other week. So, I'm trying to build like a like a cohesive community, which is um, I I don't know anyone else is doing that, at least not in North Carolina. Probably like in some of these major cities, it's it's much more common. Yeah, I think uh, bringing people together is like really valuable. It's valuable for for like professional development. You know, talking with other other people in the field. I mean, all said and done, even though it's a growing like exploding field, it it still isn't like you know. I can't talk to I don't know like my siblings and cousins and you know talk data analytics and you know everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about or even like approximately what I'm talking about. So I feel like you know the community is like really helpful. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think also, too, it's kind of like um, this like servant leadership kind of trope I'm trying to embody of like getting out in the community and like it's uncomfortable meeting new people. So if I can kind of like facilitate that. um, Oh, interesting. So we've got Matt Bratton chiming in. 
So Abe Diaz is in the back end of our studio. We're going to bring him in in a minute to critique his portfolio. But what's funny is I keep doing this. Um, for those of you who are listening, me and Ash have never talked. He logged in two minutes before, and now we're just hitting play. <laughs> yeah, we're, so, we're, we're doing our hellos here. Yeah, so you 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 guys are, are getting in on this as we're meeting and getting acquainted with each other, which is wild because, I mean, so – I met you because Ken G referred me to you because you came on his podcast. Uh, yeah, I was on his podcast, uh, I want to say, uh, a couple of months ago. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a really fun one. I mean, um, I, you know, I've kind of been following the uh, data science content creation scene. But, uh, you know, like what you guys are doing on there is, I think, like really value add, right? Like uh, on, on YouTube, you're like um, like helping people really like, Think about how to become uh, a better data analyst and how to uh, how to navigate the industry. And there's like a lot of value there. Okay, all right. So I, I've got to tag this um, this um, live chat. So this is an, an emerging thing that we're developing. So my intern just spun up a Discord server for us, and we're doing a weekly data challenge. And um, one of the networking events I went with some, some of my former students. I ran into Tim who he runs um, the Code for Greensboro Challenge. So it's like civic hackathons. So what we're doing is we're trying to combine these worlds of like having people on our podcast study Greensboro's civic data to come up with useful dashboards so like citizens can, can sift through that data to find insights. So Tim's saying, speaking of building in the analytics community here in Greensboro, any local folks on the chat now considering coming and joining the Code for Greensboro? Happy hour tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. in Oden Brewery. So there you go. It's it's happening in real time. This wasn't planned. This is just spontaneous. Oden is a really cool brewery that's uh, relatively new in town. So, if, yeah, if there are any local folks, um, I, th- I'm just finding out about this. So, yeah, Tim, I, um, send me a message off air and, and let's let's connect on this. I'd, I'd love to come meet some of those people. Yeah, that sounds right. really good. I'm I'm totally into like working with open data. I'm a huge nerd for like uh, traffic data, crime data. I don't know all the like uh, interesting, but also weird kind of government stuff that you know is invisible but necessary to to, to run a city. So okay, have you ever heard of open data applying directly to private business? Uh, yeah, in some cases. Yeah. I mean, um, what, so when I worked at, um, the electric scooter company, Lime, um, we had to use open data for, um, for, you know, because uh, the scooters were kind of like out there in the, in the real world. And so, uh, we had to use a lot of like third party data and open data for, uh, for like mapping and, uh, you know, trying, trying to, trying to predict like where for traffic falls. And stuff like that, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Because yeah. because what we're thinking about doing with um, our learning platform is just opening up our data sources to anyone who wants to study it. Because that seems like the one of the biggest problems that I see, like I experienced back like five six years ago, when I was trying to get my first analytics job, was that I didn't have any real data to work with. It was like all this packaged up. Like Sally has ten dollars to spend on groceries this month. You know, like the rinky dink, like cookie cutter data sets. Yeah. There's only this much you can get out of like building analytics on, I don't know, like the Iris petals data set or whatever, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, 
you got um like I, I think those are really good as like toy problems but yeah you're right like if you're a single data analyst industry outsider like the power is the power imbalance on like who's got the data is like totally against you like big corporations own like the most useful data uh they don't own all of it and they don't own like all the interesting problems but you know like a lot of them are in the private sector right now yeah well i, I think that um so uh, us putting out our, our data and i mean we've, we've been talking about like our google analytics data our email marketing our sales data um our social media data like everything out there and then basically if people want to come solve problems for ourselves like we may do challenges where it's like all right everyone compete uh the person who wins this challenge gets paid as a consultant you get like a thousand or five thousand dollars or how much ever um so that that way it's like kind of low risk on our end but like the upside seems high i'm a little bit worried about the competitors coming in and scalping our data and being like ah, but i mean i don't know if it's a it's a company that's built around like a personal brand and it's kind of uh there's a little bit of a a hedge against competition in, in those situations well um i think i think what you're doing is kind of like open sourcing software right like on on, on, on the, like the, the obvious con of open sourcing software is that everyone can see your code and can copy it and like also use it for their own purposes. I think it's a similar thing with data, except you can't like reuse the data. Like, you know, I, if I'm starting to use your channel, I probably can't reuse your data to my benefit much. I would, I could, I could study it to learn like kind of some of the dynamics that I don't know. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the, there are pros to open sourcing your data. It's like you, you'll get, uh, it's way easier to get people uh, to work on something. Uh, you know, if, if you want to get a lot of people working on your problem, like open sourcing is like a really good way to do it. Um, well, okay. So we're totally going on a side tangent here and I hope I'm not yeah. boring my audience too much, but it's the network effect. Yeah. It's because th- this is a social platform. Like if I, if I, if I like touch enough people and have an impact on their life, there's some like um, brand equity. There's some loyalty in that. Um, and I'm kind of paying it forward to where they're, they're willing to pay kind of in the, the long term. Um, cause like one thing that, cause I'm published on LinkedIn and Udemy. And one thing that I'm realizing is like so many of these organizations are just in a race to the bottom. Like they want to chart like Udemy's everything's on sale all the time. So therefore you're like $200 course price is because everyone knows it's not, it's nine ninety nine which is <laughs> interest. It's an interesting space, but I feel bad. I feel like we're neglecting our, ch- our chat here. Um, I saw, oh, we'll go the chat. let's get in. Let's get folks. in. Yeah. All right. So we got, this is cool. So John Weininger is the analytics manager at home Depot. So he's, he's warning you. Um, I may ask some clever questions. I see. I'll be prepared, but, um, and then let's see who else. See what's what's tough about this this live chat is that there's so many people asking questions. All right, um, so Tuin, this is not um, the the case study course is related to Tableau and marketing analytics. Um, I do have that course on Udemy, focusing specifically on that Power BI certification, but that's it's completely separate. Um, let's see, I think I saw. All right, Kinga, I owe you a response. I just saw your your. Uh, your question on one of our other podcast episodes with um, Gary fly. So I'll, I'll get back to you. I promise. But um, cool. All right. So let's pivot now. And I want to ask you about, you have such a 
impressive career trajectory. So like line, I know line is weird like that. The, well, to be quite frank, those Lime scooters were littered all over my city for like six months. <laughs> I'd love to see the date on that. But I'd be working there, and that's like a name, highly visible um, company. And then I'd love to hear about what it was like working for LinkedIn. Um, uh, yeah, for sure, sure. And then kind of like, what, what are your thoughts on career trajectory? So I guess let's start. So what, what did you study in school, and did you feel like that prepared you for the the job market? Um, so I, um, let's see, um, I dropped um, science, so like physics, chemistry, and biology in high school and picked up like business, accounting, econ, and math. And uh, I kind of continued to study economics in university. And uh, I would say that, no, it did not prepare me to get into a career <laughs> analytics um you know I, I knew a lot of math when i graduated i had no idea how like they work in the real world and uh importantly i had a very very basic idea of how computers work i mean like i've been working with computers my whole life uh i'm a gamer i've like you know really like tinkered around and hacked a bunch but i mean that you know that's just basically like a platform on which to build more advanced skills and it's not like you know gonna make your industry ready so mm-hmm. um yeah that, that's that's what i studied Okay. It was funny because I got it. My undergrad was in economics as well. And I had zero skill. Although I was, I was super privileged and not taking school seriously. So my parents paid for my undergrad. So I I know I'm extremely lucky that, you know, I I came from that place, but then I flailed in a hundred percent commission sales role for three years and then went back on my own dollar and paid for an MBA with concentration analytics and took it much, much more seriously. Right on. So you you had this um, you had this kind of moment in your professional life where you decided, all right, I gotta I gotta you know like in, reinvest in building new skills. <laughs> well, okay, this is a bit bit of a controversial hot take, but I, I, I joke with my students um, all the time about this. Of like, you guys are really comfy right now, but you are on the verge of your quarter life crisis. Because you're going to get out and you're going to like your expectations for how things are going to go and the reality are just like not synced up. Yeah, I think uh, I think, you know, what you're talking about. There's there's a lot of kind of like, uh, you know, just mildly shocking surprises about how the industry works and getting in day to day life. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of get where you're where you're coming from there. Yeah, well, I mean, I came from like a very pampered place to like 100% commission where I was knocking on 20 business doors a day and just getting rejected. Reject- it, it was almost like, um, I know we got Al, our social media manager, and Abe, who are military people. It's almost like my version of boot camp where they like broke me down and then I had to build myself back up. <laughs> it's like someone who actually has assumptions and ideas grounded in, in reality. Um, so you don't have a master's degree. Uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, well, not yet, at least. I've considered going back to school. Um, yeah, I think when it was most op- like opportune for me to do it, I uh, unfortunately wasn't able to afford it. And now I think the opportunity cost is too high for me where, you know, I think I'd benefit. I'd grow a lot more just by staying in the industry and picking up more responsibilities and new opportunities. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're already getting the jobs that most people go to ma- like get a master's to get right, yeah, yeah. So I've I've talked with um, with like more senior data scientists about this, and like you know like kind of uh, got some 
advice on both sides. I mean, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good in spending uh, more time like studying uh, field seriously. If I went back to school, I'd probably uh, I'd probably take a mix of uh, technical and soft skill type of um, courses. My deal would be something like. Uh, you know, like a master's in stats, but also in like uh, business or management, um, if if at all that's a thing. But again, like I said, I mean, I I really like I think I should be able to get that kind of like uh, skill development in my professional um, life if I you know like am able to get in front of the right opportunities. So this is an interesting debate that actually, so uh, Daniel Hall is now the dean at High Point University, which uh, I live in Greensboro. High Point is like 30 minutes away. And I, I, t- I taught for him um, last semester and the, year, and the semester before that. But we were, we were talking, it was, so this was an interesting conversation. So it was me who's an entrepreneur and my friend Ryan, who's also an entrepreneur. Um, and on the other side of the argument was Dr. Hall and then um, Raj, who's getting a PhD in geology. And we're talking about the, the benefits of going directly from undergrad to grad school. And he was saying that it's a good idea because it will make your career trajectory much steeper. Like you'll, you'll kind of start off getting underpaid, but then as you get into promotions, it'll um, kind of build on top of itself. It sounds like you're kind of like debunking that. Like you kind of like bootstrapped your way up without that master's degree. Well, yeah, true. I didn't go back to school and get a master's degree, but I mean, I put in like two or three years of like just working nights and weekends to build the skills. So Mm -hmm. I would say, although I don't have like, I probably didn't do exactly the equivalent of a master's degree, but between that and uh, picking up work experience, I found that that was that was enough for uh, to get me into the uh, into the industry. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like you've got um, demonstrated performance, so like you've done well and kind of leveled up each each career pivot, right? Yeah, that all started at Lime. To be honest, the first like five years of my career, I was just, uh, you know, kind of like a spreadsheet analyst. And uh, I spent most of the time working at like a small e-commerce company out in Colorado. Uh, and, you know, I was I was working with like uh, all sorts of data that they had. They had like a lot of transactional, you know, typical like e-commerce type of data, a lot of inventory type problems. Uh, and they also had, um, you know, like any e-commerce store marketing, uh, which is like a big source of their inbound uh, traffic. And I was working with all this data, but, you know, it was small. So I didn't really need to, I mean, I got by for at least a couple of those years just using Excel. And I think it was actually on that job where I started to, um, I started to encounter problems where, you know, it's not like, like Microsoft Excel is just not going to cut it. Um, you know, you've got like files that you can't open up because uh, you're just, uh like you don't have enough RAM in your like local computer to open up like a 20 gig file. If you have 60, yeah. Gigs. I'm like, yeah. I, I found that it's like right around the 60,000 row mark. It starts to like really start to lag on Excel. Maybe it was just a computer I was on though. We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program 
offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one -on -one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, it's uh, something like Excel. The original, and you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what it's like now, but it used to be like sixty-five thousand something. It's like uh, you know, it's like it's a two to the power off number that's uh, rooted in like you know some kind of like uh, uh, the computing capacity of, uh, of of your device. Oh, interesting. Yeah. See, yeah, you're way more. T you're like you're like like our intern Hunter, who is a gamer. He knew about Discord. I, I'm starting. I'm finally starting to feel like an old man. Where I'm like, what are the kids doing these days? What's this Discord thing? <laughs> it's like super. It, well, what's funny is Discord just doesn't look aesthetically pleasing to me. It's like I don't know. It, it just yeah, it's kind of a mess, but I kind of I kind of love it. It's uh, it, it's a beautiful mess. All right, so we got a viewer submitted question here from coming from Home Depot again. So uh, John's top question is, uh, what's your typical day in the life? What's the mix of data engineering, defining the problems, building the models, testing the results, summarizing your findings, and communicating out results? So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a really good question. Um, we just uh, uh, scroll back up to find it. Um, actually, I'll just, back yeah, up. I'll just I'll just pull it back up. Awesome, thanks. Yeah. So yeah, like. Let's start with uh, day in the life. Um, okay. So I'm going to come at this from uh, like a like a you know like a tech industry perspective. Um, I've worked in both startups and like kind of like established um, companies now. And um, if I could, uh, you know, like one really frequent and common experience in the life is um, lots of questions. So you know, typically you're. Um, your your role is not like you working alone, kind of like how a lot of people get into data science, like studying by themselves. It's uh, very much you're embedded in a particular part of the organization you work in. So, uh, for instance, at Lime, I was building uh, global fleet analytics that um, would tell market managers in in cities like uh, you know what percentage of their fleet needed to be recharged or repaired or you know like uh, relocated to areas of higher demand at LinkedIn I was working on product analytics uh, for LinkedIn learning uh, where I was <laughs> um, uh, yeah I was uh, working on, uh, on a specific uh, part of it. I, I worked a lot on their, their sign up that I'll, I'll just cut the long story short there when you when you create an account you go through that flow like I spent about a year like staring at that well. LinkedIn and learning has been wild. It's so I've, I've got, I've had like a half million people take my LinkedIn learning courses over the past two years. Like the scale of that is. Wow. Hard. That's, that's really good, man. It's hard to wrap my head around. And I'm, I'm actually flying back out to Santa Barbara to go record again. Um, and I think six weeks from now. Oh, so. that's so much. Yeah. Their, their, their studios out there are great. And, uh, you know, I never got a visit, but like I've had zoom calls with folks there. It's, uh, it's, it's very, it's enviable. I mean, it's weird it's reading from a teleprompter. Sorry, side tangent. But yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so and, and here at Atlassian, I work. Um, so uh, Atlassian is a company that makes collaboration tools like Jira, mm -hmm. um, Confluence, Trello uh, is what I think a lot of people. Okay, like, I know talk. Trello. Um, I work uh, in marketing analytics at Atlassian, and uh, 
help uh, help the teams I work with optimize a ton of uh, automated campaigns that they run. So in all of these, like the commonality, the day in life is the people you're working with, uh, they have a lot of questions. It's like, uh, think about it as like, uh, let's say you're working with someone, like let's say you own a restaurant and uh, you know, so you can see every customer and if you make a change, you can see how like, you know, you, you get some feedback, right? Like you can, you can just observe people and learn a lot from them. It's kind of like that, but with like internet technology products, you don't get to directly observe uh, how people are responding to changes that you make. So let's say you, you change something up on the menu or you increase prices or you, you change the decor. Uh, you know, there's, there's, it's not as straightforward to just walk around and like ask people, hey, how are things going? So this is where like, I think um, I find myself in data analytics, um, just feeling those questions of like, hey, so we're thinking about making this change. Is it worth it? Uh, are, are enough people going to be impacted that, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get what we want out of it. Cause things are like less than straightforward. Uh, and so that's like the biggest, um, the biggest feature of every day question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and see, that's another thing too. I, sorry if I'm like, like I fixated on like, um, the online course creation space. But one of the big challenges I see is that, um, you also have perfect data sets, like there's no concept of there's no conception in, in a lot of um, college classes on scarcity of like like you have this data set and it's a perfect crystal ball of what's going on. So like having the conversation around like, all right, well, we have to make some assumptions about this data. What what is, what is going on here and, and how what are the risks of making this assumption? Is this going to um, cause a million dollar under optimization in our supply chain? Like what what are the risks associated with this? Yeah, so some some problems are can be can be really high stakes, um, and uh, maybe not even the ones you expect. Like um, it, 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 you know, some changes you want to make, you really just have to like run an experiment and see what happens because it's it's really hard to predict what will happen. You you can theorize, you can hypothesize, but you know, like at the end of the day, uh, our technology products these days are like really complicated. There's uh, right. Unintended consequences. If you're testing uh, a button with blue text, someone's probably testing a button with blue background. And if those two tests collide, then you got a user who just sees a blue button with no text. And right. uh, yeah, like the, you know, this is kind of like world we live in. So uh, I would say part of the question is, yeah. So before we get in the data, uh, part of it is there are so many questions. So you're talking about scarcity. The real scarcity that we face in the industry is too many questions and too few people to answer them. So uh, the, what, like the, the most important thing I do every day is try to talk with the people who are asking questions to understand, well, what are you trying to use this question to decide? And is that the most important thing we could be working on? Or, you know, can we like, uh, can we like agree that this other thing is, is more important and I should be focusing my limited time, my scarce time on this, like researching this question. Okay, so you're 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 sparking some ideas in my head of um, this concept that I, that is really hard for me to express and communicate to people who have never worked, like especially like students who are so green. Uh, this concept of systems versus ad hoc thinking, like if you oh, yeah. want, yeah, because um, because that's essentially like I don't work my my clientele for my uh, consulting agencies like. I'm the largest co company I've worked for is 150 million in revenue. So like they're typically they're around the tens of millions. So they're not huge. So there's, it's funny. Cause it's, it's just wide open in terms of like a lot of them have never had a data analyst come in. 
Like they're just, so there's like a bunch of low hanging juicy fruit, but um, the, the first breakthrough I had or the first big win in terms of like analytics, um, my analyst career was taking um, a system that did like line reviews for manufacturer. They did it manually in Excel. Uh, what I did was I figured out a system to pull those data sources into Tableau and all you have to do is just update the underlying data and then it automatically populated. So that scaled out 17 times. And then we just started iterating from there. Um, and th- that was like the first real inflection point of like, oh, wow, this is worth millions of dollars. You now, feel like a superhero, like, like <laughs> you discovered some new powers. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, and it, <laughs> it's like, you're like a superhero, but it's like also to like, I, I know that, these people are selling physical goods in North Carolina. So they're like, they're not the Googles or the Lime or the Facebooks or the LinkedIn's of the world. You, so. be, man. you can add value anywhere. I feel like that's, uh, that's one of the cool parts of getting into data analytics. Like, you know, lots of places are big enough to have like um, big data problems. You don't need to be working cutting as a technology. So sorry, side note, but you know, you could be selling widgets. You could be like Nike. If you sell enough shoes, you need data to figure out like, how many shoes to manufacture each line and like, like, uh, you know, uh, where the, where and when the demand is going to spike so you can have the inventory ready. Like your distribution channels, like all tech anyway, like logistics and delivery these days is all really like hyper optimized. Yeah. We'll see. And honestly, I think, so I'm kind of pivoting out of the, like the consulting work that I want to do, I think long-term is just facilitating students working for, like organizations. Cause I think that's really where like the biggest learning happens is like, you're not going to get paid to solve a problem. Like you're not going to get paid to solve the Titanic data set problem, you know, cause everyone on what is it Kaggle or wherever has done that. Right. But yeah. if it's like, all right, this company is having this one date, like the benefit of working with these companies is like, these stories are so obvious. For example, um, like, this is just one of the easiest anecdotes I can I can tell you is um, I had a company that was selling marine accessories and they were stopped, they were holding their inventory flat all year. There was a three hundred fifty thousand dollar over op, like under optimization in terms of no one's buying marine accessories during the winter time. Invest that capital in something selling and moving. So that's like a super easy, right? But like if I were in like LinkedIn, like uh, talking about like uh, like the whole complexity of it. It would be a lot harder, I think, to convey those concepts to students. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. I mean, going back to John's question here, day in the life, like as I was getting, like, um, like what I was getting to is basically feeling questions is like the biggest part of my day. Um, trying to ask questions about like uh, what we get out of it and what it's going to cost me or my team or my like uh, you know the organization to get it. So the the questions can be, uh, I mean. To, to give you an example, like I work in a marketing department now, uh, there's there's probably like a handful of campaign managers in my inbox right now, like, you know, like try, trying to figure out how, uh, like how, trying, trying to make decisions about specific campaigns they run. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, their management, one or two levels of, of them, they're, uh, it's the beginning of the fiscal year. So they're trying to set like high level strategic targets and they have like an entirely different set of questions. And uh, uh, finally there's, uh, you know, like, Apart from all the questions that, that these folks have, there is a need in the organization to build a really good campaign attribution. So uh, we actually have to kind of somehow bat away enough of these questions, make enough time to build this foundational stuff uh, so that we, you know, like, because because that's like the biggest value add. That's the like, 
you know, in, in the example you mentioned, that's a $350,000 optimization. That's where like the real opportunity lies. But in the meantime, like everyone also needs to kind of like have, have enough information to make their decisions. And that's where like, uh, you know, like the, right. the human problem lies in analytics. Well, okay. I, w- I did want to circle back around because you mentioned soft skills, which I think that the two, the two big things that I'm realizing, like the two big like pie in the sky things is I'm trying to teach technical people, business and business people, technical stuff. So that's like the value prop. Um, But then also too, people who are super technical need to understand the soft skills because that, that if, if you're the type of person who's fixated on things and concepts, you're good there. Like you're going to tinker and you're going to be fixated there. But what may limit your career is that you can't articulate and get buy-in on your project. You can't sell yourself in an interview. You're going to get capped real quick in terms of your career progression. If you don't develop those soft skills. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it totally depends on the environment that you work in, but you know, like yeah. most um, most kind of uh, institutional environments are. I mean, they're ultimately team efforts. They're social, collective social endeavors. The some of the uh, some of the parts is greater than the whole. You got to recognize you're on a team. So it's kind of like if you're playing football, you could be like really like the best quarterback. You could you could understand like the physics of how to how to throw the ball and uh, how to get it to like like the right runner. But uh, you know at the at the end of the day, if you pass the wrong person or you you haven't really thought about how to like communicate to your teammates that uh, you know while something's going on, you have to like. Uh, you know, they have to do something, then, uh, you know, you're, you're just like less effective. So I feel like that's the analogy I would use for soft skills and why they're important. It's not just enough to throw the ball. You got to like figure out how to talk with your team too. And like, you know, contribute mm-hmm. what they need. And I, okay, let me um, do the improv thing of yes and. So I agree. I love that metaphor. But I also think that you need to understand like, what's the goal? Are you going for a Hail Mary play? Or is this like you're trying to move the ball forward three yards? Because I, I, that's really where I geek out is business strategy. Like that's, um, I, I like I like kind of seeing like, all right, if we do this, what's going to happen? And for me, honestly, the analytics hard skills are kind of an afterthought. It's like I, I it's like the minimal effective dose of like I know enough to be dangerous, and I also know enough that I can bring in a data scientist and be like, hey, build out a linear regression or a predictive model for this, and that this is why this will be important. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you you bring up a, a really good point there. I feel like, um, yeah, the, so so business strategy is really really um, it's an area with like a lot of high value potential, um, and yeah, like so I want I want to touch upon this because you said like the technical skills are almost an afterthought. I I feel like this might confuse some people because when you're when you're trying to get into the industry, everyone's like you you, you got your technical skills got to be solid. This is like really the most basic. Uh, requirements that you need to meet in order to be in data analytics or data science. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true. But once you get in, you really have to work on this other stuff that, uh, that you know, like, it's just harder to work on it outside of a workplace environment because you need a team to work on team skills. Yeah. Or, okay. So this is the... What's cool about this podcast is that I'm just bringing in people and then I'm just taking their ideas. <laughs> I mean, I'll give them attribution. I'll be like, this is this person's idea. But um, we had this guy who just got his, 
we interviewed. What's funny is I reached out to him because he was interviewing for a, an, a, his his first business intelligence role at Amazon. And by the time he came on, he had just landed the role. Um, his name is Jay Swaino. And one of the things that he did is he started his own nonprofit. So he learned like he was they were selling um, toothbrushes that like would benefit um, some environmental cause. So like he learned like, okay, marketing, sales, business structure. And I think those are the things that, that really shine through and like are impressive in an interview setting. Cause like, yeah, he, he did go through a boot camp and like got his, he had the technical skills, but I think, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. People lean too heavily on those, those technical skills without the context of what's going on. Yeah, once you're done uh, talking with people and getting alignment and make sure everyone agrees that that we're working on the right thing, then you got to go into the cluster uh, and then put like, you know, your hundreds of gigs or terabytes through through the through, through you know, through whatever, like, uh, I don't know, like compute environment you've got. And hopefully you got like really good resources and hopefully everything breaks and I mean, hopefully nothing breaks and, <laughs> everything breaks uh, hopefully nothing breaks and uh you know all the data sources you assumed were high quality remain high quality and uh, uh you know there's uh, there's no bugs in your code and uh you know you understand how everything works perfectly so i feel like there's there's a lot underneath that iceberg but i think really like it starts with uh you know figuring out where you slot it in the team yeah that's true all right um Okay, let's see. Let's tap the chat. I, I feel like I, it's so tough. Oh, it's I want to give you full my full attention, but then I also need to moderate this. Um, yeah, yeah. And like, because I don't want to neglect my people, you know? Like, these no, people, do your I, thing. <laughs> uh... Okay, all right. So, okay, let, let me give you some context of Kinga. So she is pivoting out of the academia space and getting her first um, analytics job. And it's, it's interesting seeing her, so she's very active on LinkedIn. I can see kind of, like her thought process and um, pro tip to those who are listening, be active on LinkedIn. Don't overshare. Don't be like, Hey, I had a bad day. Uh, my dog died. Like don't, don't, don't overshare, but like you can talk about struggles that are relevant to kind of your, your um, career. So King asks, ask, uh, I keep seeing that in the tech space, people jump roles every one to three years. What do you think that is? I have thoughts on this too, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> Sure. Um, I mean, I have a I have a particularly like sort of uh, econ way of thinking about this. Um, so ultimately, we're in um, so this technology industry has like this uh, this business model where the marginal cost of delivering most product, meaning uh, you know, if you come to my store and buy like a pair of uh, like a T-shirt. Um, the cost of delivering that t-shirt is just like the cost of the t-shirt. There's like very little transactional cost involved because everything's kind of like automated and, or at least like relative to like the, like a real world, uh, brick and mortar setup. So like LinkedIn, for example, uh, you buy a premium subscription, it costs them like not even a fraction of a cent to deliver that value to you. So it's almost entirely profit. So because of this, they have like a lot of cash, but they do need economic inputs to build and maintain their products. And those economic inputs are uh, brain time from engineers mostly. And uh, you know, like the, the people who need to be there for the business to run, like salespeople, marketers, finance, like, so talent is like the, the real input for most of the big tech companies. Um, where we're at right now, there is way more demand for qualified like tech talent than there's supply. 
Um, it may feel like there is a glut, but in reality, the reason why wages are so high in the tech sector is because although, so, so let's, let's actually uh, go, go a little deeper into that. Uh, I think that they're like, it's very competitive to get into entry level roles, but the only reason why that's the case is because it's never been easier to apply for a job in history. Anyone with an internet connection can apply to be like a data scientist or a software engineer. That doesn't mean everyone's qualified. Well, uh, also, um, LinkedIn has a role in this. One click, one click apply. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a thing. So it's really easy, which which kind of gives this like this facade of oh, this is like a really competitive market, and I have to get past the ATS. The ATS only exists because it's so easy to apply, and like mm-hmm. you know, no recruiter can actually go through all the the responses. Right. So that's what I, uh, what I, that's kind of like the, the idea I've come to settle around. Um, and my own experience internally is like, you know, like there's always, uh, there's always a need for more people. There's always a need for more headcounts, but the really like the qualified people that you can put in front of these like industrial scale problems are kind of few and far between. You have to really like look for needles in the haystack. Uh, and if you can, as a data analyst or like somebody trying to get into the industry, if you can, if you can figure out how to, uh, h- how to get yourself into a position where your skill level is like good enough to where you can be trusted with, um, with like managing just like, uh, you know, like the technical infrastructure that's needed to run the apps that you use every day. It's, uh, it's, it's way more complex than I think most people know unless they've actually seen the inside of it. Um, so yeah, I think, um, so So it, to go back into why people jump roles every one to three years. So in this, uh, in this environment, the um, tech companies have a lot of power over consumers, but behind that, the tech talent has a lot of power over the tech companies. And uh, so they can demand like a lot of high wages, great perks. You see these things about like offices in the Bay Area, campuses with like, you know, massages and like dentists on, on campus and people have like daycare for the employees, kids. It's it's just because of this, this like power dynamic. They're like, you know, don't leave us and go. We'll, we'll just make life so easy that all you do is figure out how to get more people to pay for premium subscriptions for us or whatever. And the reason why people jump is because they have the power to uh, to do it. It's uh, some of the compensation is like truly outrageous in the big tech sector. And so, you know, people are like, you put 50 K in front of me, I'll jump, you know? Okay. So I have, I have thoughts on this. I I was going to take it in a completely different direction, but absolutely. I think that um, right now in the current climate, if you are talented, experienced and effective, the world is your oyster and not only jumping companies, but like, you can just start your own thing. Like oh, if you totally. have if you have talent, like um, I don't know, I don't want to come off as overly braggadocious, but my royalty is between LinkedIn and Udemy cover my cost of living. So I'm like 32 sure. in this kind of semi-retired space. Um, which it's funny because I like I thought I would just go to like a, a beach in Mexico and be like, all right, I'm gonna just drink martinis and like or not or margaritas or whatever and just hang out. Now I'm like, oh no, I, I'm freed up to do the work that I want to do, which is building this learning platform and like really get in on this. But yeah, so the the, the skilled tech workers can go off and start their own like company, right? Like and they, they can build their own technology and then they own equity and then that pays them. Like they're, they're, there's a separation between me and my income now. Like Dude, LinkedIn learning courses are doing all the leverage. 
you're hitting the spot. So you have like this is this is the this is the key. You have an opportunity cost of working for a big tech company. They know right. that, which is why um, a lot of the, the the like just go anyone on this podcast go to levels.fyi uh, and then you know just click through. It'll show you for like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, like lots of companies what people at different levels in in tech make, and they make like ridiculous amounts of like stock. And the reason why these companies give so much stock to people is because it's to cover that opportunity cost, you know, that like you can go and right. start, you can work anywhere else. So like, we gotta, you know, we gotta give you some golden handcuffs. I think that's like kind of the mentality. But the, the thing is because the companies are so competitive trying to compete for this limited pool of like really high skill talent, um, Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, like routinely goes to universities like the, the top engineering schools hires new grads with like 100k signing bonuses they 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 make a lot of cash and they splash it and uh you know get get people to to work for them uh in this environment it's like no surprise people jump roles when they get a better opportunity so hopefully that answers kingo's question okay i also wanted to talk about it from like a power dynamics perspective of um so in my own consulting agency like i I've told this anecdote enough where I guess I'm not as ashamed. I start, I guess how much I started out with getting paid for. So I, well, okay. I need to give you context. I turned my last internship into my, uh, during my MBA program into my first consulting client. So this ultimate irony that I've never had an analytics job, but yet I have a podcast called how to get an analytics job. <laughs> but I guess how much I was, I was getting paid at first when I, when I first took on my consulting client, no benefits, no, no guarantee of, of like continued work. Guess yeah. what that hourly rate was? Um, I don't know. What, were you were you making over fifty k? Okay, so I was getting paid thirty an hour. Oh, okay, which, okay. Which is like, well, it's funny because that that seems like decent for like your first. I don't know. I, I, well, I did this so weird thing where I learned the skill set and developed an agency at the same time, which like is I'm realizing what a maniac I am because that's like generally not a wise thing to do. But um, it took me three months to negotiate from 30 to 32 to where I, the next client I got after that, I was making a hundred an hour just cause I could talk about the wins. So what, what you're doing it, when you're staying in a job too long, you are competing against where, like where you were when they found you. So my anchor point was an intern. So going from intern to consultant to high paid consultant is like nearly impossible. Uh, it's the switching cost of like talking about, um, you know, that $350,000 um, under optimization. That's such an easy leverage point to just negotiate with my next client. So you can kind of do that within um, your job, job trajectory. You, you start fresh. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, hold up. So someone asked, I really want to answer this question. Matt asked, is Ash drinking a stout? And uh, <laughs> the answer is no, it's 9.45 in the morning. This is, uh, this is coffee. I'm just drinking. Ah. It's, uh, it's cold brew. I, I yeah. And the can had nitrogen in it. That's why it's foamy. Yeah, it's got a head on it. <laughs> okay. All right. I, you're so attentive to the chat. I, I like get sucked in the conversation and like lose them. All right. So Raphael is asking, so if you have the skills to do the job that these tech companies pay such high wages, then you might as well open your own business. Interesting. What do you think? Agreed. Yes, no. 
I mean, like, so we're, uh, John, you and I are like on different uh, sides of this question, right? Like, so you're, you're, you're basically in the role where you said, well, I'm doing like my own, not just business, but you've got like a couple of, a couple of great gigs going on. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of on this uh, thing where, yeah, I mean, I think I have like the skills needed to, to like start my business. I'll have like a huge learning curve, but um uh, yeah, I, I've, I've considered it. And uh, for me right now, the opportunity, I think the opportunity cost is too high for me to kind of go off and do my own thing. Um, but, you know, that's just me personally. But but you're on the other side. So I'm curious how you feel about, you know, the, the choice between, I don't know, let's say, let's say you had a choice between working at Google and getting paid, like, I don't know, like, absurd money, 300k, and, uh, and then starting your own thing. Would you, would you, like how seriously would you consider going to work at Google? Okay, so I'm going to pivot. I'm going to dodge this question slightly. Okay. So, because um, <laughs> well, I'll pit this in the real world. So Danny Lauer is a guy that I've known for probably going on eight years now. We met way back. Um, he was kind of like in a mentor role with me where I, I went to him to get advice on whether I should go back and get an MBA. And he gave me some fantastic, he was getting a master, an MBA at Wake Forest and kind of was like a, he gave me some very, very, strong advice in a critical point in my life. What's funny, I didn't realize that he kept up with me. And when his, uh, he's now a senior product developer or a senior, is it product? Product manager at Amazon. And he, it's funny because he reached out to me and said, hey, um, my team's hiring. Uh, you're the first person I thought of to fill this analytics role. And what's funny is I was like, oh, that's, I'm flattered. Um, but I am, I, I don't want to waste your time. I'm not interested in, in any type of full-time employment, but if you want to come on the podcast, we can, we can talk. So he was a podcast guest. Um, so no, I, I don't think that at this point, any amount of money could get me out of this position. That's, that's a really good answer. I mean, like you clearly, you, you see that there's, uh, I mean, you're, you're getting, you're, you're getting a lot out of it and there's enough potential for you to, to stick with, with your path. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just in such an interesting place where I feel like I am making an impact, like a, a real impact and it's at scale. So like I can see it with my physical in-person students, but then like I, the amount of messages that I get of like, I mean, this is a new thing that's, that's like, I don't know how to wrap my head around this, this parasocial phenomenon. Like so, okay. So Matt, Matt, Matthew Cull, um, recently found out about our podcast, saw the promo for one of our courses. Turns out he lives five minutes down the road. We went and grabbed a beer. And by the time, um, for, so this was like, I think it took, it was like a week and a half overlap. He had listened to like 52 of my podcast episodes within like a week and a half. And then he would be like, okay. So in episode 13, around the like 25 minute mark, you, you made this really interesting point and I, and I agree with it, but I have some, I'm like, whoa, that is, I don't know what to make of that. Like that is. So he actually like got so much out of your podcast. He just listened to like. He listened to the, yeah. And, yeah. That's amazing, man. I mean, I think you're onto something there. I like ultimately the measure of uh, how valuable the work you're doing is, is like, uh, you know, the, the collect the collective social impact of your work, right? Like. I think, right. um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good measure of your, um, like, like the your your contribution to the people you you work with and you associate with. Yeah. Also, too, I need a caveat. What my answer with um, I'm essentially unemployable. 
<laughs> like I can't, I can't work for anyone else. It, it's like a switch gets turned off in my head when I get into a cor- cor- like I did two corporate inv- um, internships for my MBA, and I mean I was having that like existential dread every Sunday of like mm-hmm. I can't, I can't believe I'm I'm going to go into this. I, I've got to do my, I got to do my own thing, and I, it's. I think part of it is just my personality type. Like I, I'm very, very high in um, novelty. Like I love like new things. Like it's funny because a lot of the people in this podcast value security and stability. So like, it's been a real strong thought exercise of me, like understanding them and like not trying to put my worldview on them and like actually listen because uh, the idea of having like a nine to five job and like slowly working up to like manager and then maybe, maybe middle manager and then maybe VP role just sounds like, uh, existentially dreadful to me. Like I just couldn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. I think like uh, like I, I can relate pretty hard with that. I get I get existential dread on Sunday, and uh, I'm also like uh, I think I talked about this on Ken's podcast more, but uh, you know like um, I have I have my own like personality and like mental health challenges. I'm you know like very impulsive, and uh, you know just like I'm 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 not even gonna. I'm, I'm just going to be straight with everyone. I'm like sweating from anxiety right now being on this call. Um, you're so good under the, under pressure. Like you're very f- verbally fluid and articulate. I mean, that's, oh, it's like years of years of practice. I used to work with some really senior like executives and they would constantly be trying to like ask me to contribute. And uh, I just got used to it, you know, <laughs> like trial by fire. But yeah, I mean, there's yeah. existential dread. I, I, I seriously, like I have serious reservations about the work that I do every day. But, uh, you know, like all said and done, I think I think I'm getting more out of it than I could um, anywhere else right now. And, uh, you know, like maybe that will change the future. But for me right now, it's like it's totally worth it. Yeah. OK. All right. So we're going to circle around to I was looking at your LinkedIn profile before we hopped on this call and you were um, you did some visualization work for Lime. You said that like got published, right? Oh, my God. That was so much fun. Yeah. All um, right. So we're, we've got a segment now. We're going to pivot into. Um, so we're going to cut to a quick commercial break to announce this new LinkedIn challenge. It's going to be going on over the next two weeks for our learning platform. And then we're going to pull Abe Diaz on and he is going to share his tablet public. And you're going to give us some. I didn't prep you for this. <laughs> I'm throwing you at this. He's going to share his LinkedIn uh, or his tablet public portfolio. And I want you to give some feedback. Oh my but, God, I'm so excited. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and what's funny is I just put together this challenge and lined everything up. So I'm excited to share this. So we're going to get to it right now. I have an announcement. Between July 23rd and August 11th, we are going to be conducting a data visualization competition. You'll get to participate in this if you sign up for our marketing analytics case study course. So what we're going to do is have you compete for a chance to win a spot on the podcast. All you have to do is finish the course, post your visualization to LinkedIn, tag us in it, and you'll be entered in on this competition. So what are the benefits for you? Well, number one, you're going to build a killer analytics portfolio piece. Number two, if you tag us in it and we comment on your LinkedIn post, this is going to be a wide range of exposure for you. And then number three, if you win, you get to come on the podcast and have an expert review your work. So that's just hugely valuable just into itself. 
So Michael Galarnik is a true heavy hitter in the analytics space. He is published on LinkedIn. He's a lecturer at Stanford. And he is currently the head of developer relations at Anyscale. On August 13th, he is coming on our How to Get an Analytics Job live stream to review our finalists. Well, I realize you may be a little bit intimidated, but let me ease your anxiety a little bit. So what I'm going to be doing over the next two weeks is I'm going to be quite vigilant on checking my tags on LinkedIn. So if you come up with your first iteration of your dashboard, tag me in a LinkedIn post and I will give you detailed feedback on what you're doing well and how you could even improve it further. And I, you can even tag me multiple times. I'm open to taking an iterative approach because I think that's probably the best way to build out a really solid analytics portfolio. So all you have to do is tag us, post your work publicly, and you're going to be entered in in this contest. And I can't wait to see the finalist results because already we have Deepak and we have Abe Diaz who have taken this course and tagged me on multiple iterations of their dashboards and they look fantastic. So if you're ready to beef up your personal brand in the analytics space, then join us in on this challenge. I dare you. Player three has entered the chat. Abe Diaz, how are you? All right, so are you ready to have, do you have your tablet public pulled up? You ready for this? <laughs> oh, let's see, what did you write in the chat here? It's time, hailing from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, weighing in at 185, a Cuban-American muscle, U.S. Marine Corps veteran, MBA in finance, financial analyst, Abe the Marie Diaz. Ah, I, I wish I saw that sooner. <laughs> Oh, we're we're going to have sound effects for this. You know, with, uh, like, we need out. to have like, we, we need to have wrestler gifts come in of like people like taking off their cape and like getting ready. <laughs> awesome. All right. So let, let's, let's check it out. <clears throat> so explain, Abe, what's going on with this? Oh, Abe, you're muted by the way, dude. Oh, my bad. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you guys didn't hear me, but I was going for like the whole Bruce Buffer UFC intro effect. I don't know if that landed well, but you need uh, to do and, the, the Vince McMahon walk, like walk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but so what we got here is the uh, marketing case study from John's uh, from John David's course. Um, so up top, I got the KPIs for Amazon um, ad spend. I don't remember from the course if you had this in there. Um, and gross sales, this is the fonts bigger than this. I just noticed my bad. Um, and then, um, so I kind of added something different. So I kind of wanted to show both, uh, Amazon versus Facebook, uh, ROI over time. So I created a line chart, um, dual access. Yep. And, um, and then I, yep. And then I synchronized the charts, I believe, or, or the axes, I'm sorry, to kind of show like how they go, how it's like increasing, decreasing over time. Uh, instead of making another KPI for this, I kind of just took um, the color filter or, or the color display, however you want to call it, uh, from from the filter right here that is on. So I just took it from here and I decided to make it floating. So it's right there on the dashboard uh, instead of making a whole nother KPI. And then down here, I just decided to make a couple quick um, bar charts showing their their ad spend and their gross sales for the three months. 
Um, the reason why the colors are a little bit different is I wanted kind of to match this as close to Amazon as possible. And then this one to Facebook. Um, not sure if that was like the best move. Um, but oh, I, I love that. Yeah, I just figured that would show something, show a little bit more pop in there. But that's, that's really just, awesome. yeah, so that's just what I kind of did. And then um, I did the same, I tried to do the same thing in Power BI. Um, if you want to see what I did in Power BI, you can go to my post on this and look at it. Um, but yeah, so this is what I got so far. I'm ready for some burns and to, for some critiques and uh, kind of make some changes live if, if possible, if you guys have any. Um, yeah, I mean, I have like 10,000 thoughts about this already, but all uh, negative. Like, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. I, I want to start by uh, Abe, like walk us through, like uh, walk us through, uh, I guess, uh, who, who you think might be like, like how you think John might be using this uh, and what kind of value he might get out of it. All right. So it's a great question. So how John would use this. Um, let's say for, you know, John has this, let's say John was wanted to sell products or, 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 or um, promote the podcast. Right. So he would look at these two and be like, all right, which would be the best company to pro to promote my podcast? I know you can't really do that on, on Amazon, but maybe you had products to sell. Um, Wait, let me t-shirts, right, or something. Hold on. Um, Abe, can you put in headphones? I think we're getting a little bit of feedback. Also, let's not use me as the end user. Let's use the the actual case study. Oh, cool. um, Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Yeah, it was... uh... So, Abe, I mean, you've taken the course, so you you know all this stuff. I'm not going to spoon feed it to you. You trial by fire. You got (laughs) to... Who was the end user for this? Uh, man, I honestly don't remember the course because I've been doing so much other stuff. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So the end user is so the company. The context is, and this is this is actually a, a use case built off of one of the student consulting projects from the Greensboro College Analytics Capstone course from last semester. Um, the the company of the the president of this company is starting a new line of business. So they're traditionally they they've been around for 20, 30 years selling B two B. This is a uh, new line developed targeting directly to consumers. And we have, we have three months or one quarter's worth of data. Oh, that's a sweet photo. <laughs> oh. um, so we have one quarter's worth of data. And I mean, that's not a huge amount of data, but we're wanting to know as like a, as a, you know, a three month sprint quickly, is it Amazon or is it Facebook that's giving us a better return on investment for our ad spend? Actually, Ash, this is probably right up your alley. I don't know because um, you're doing marketing analytics now. Uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely in the line of work I'm currently in. Uh, so you mentioned uh, B two. This, so this is this is a B two B product, right? No. So this is going. This is a e commerce that is going directly to consumer. Got it. Also, okay. we got. We got Marina chiming in. Uh, Marina, so if you want to come be a judge, I mean, I'm sure Michael would, uh, wouldn't would mind sharing the um, judge responsibilities. So for those of you who don't know, Marina is, uh, she works at Amazon doing business intelligence, or data engineering. So if you want to come in, I'm, I'm totally open to that. Um, the offer's out there. All right, back to the task at hand. So what was the question? Yeah, so, so uh, just... Um, just to recap, like who would use this? Like the the in the case study, um, the decision maker would want to 
uh, will want to understand whether to put money in Amazon or Facebook uh, moving forward and how much to put there potentially. So uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's a good start. So you have um, ad spend on Facebook and Amazon. You have sales on Facebook and Amazon. You have some notion of ROI, which is uh, I'm guessing sales divided by ad spend. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> that so, was very confident. Yes. Um, and um, the numbers on the top uh, are those for the entire quarter, or are they only for uh, like one month? They're overall because at the bottom. Okay. Part, okay. So, so you got three months on the top. So um, I think uh, yeah. So, so this is a, this is a really good start. Um, what I, I think some follow-up questions I would have here uh, are um, if um, like if, if if this company is going to look at this and decide well well so so let's see what what's the what's the takeaway we might get here that that Facebook is Facebook has a higher ROI than Amazon or at least had it had a higher ROI two out of three months. So I would say like Facebook overall has a higher ROI. So it's, a, you know, they're about a hundred percent higher um, return on investment than if you, than if you just used Amazon uh, and then, and then uh, your sales are obviously higher and then, you know, you're, you're spending less to get more. So versus Amazon. Okay. Um, let's talk about what might happen next. So, um, if, 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 I, if I saw this, if, if I own this business and I saw this and I said, all right, like the two out of three months, Facebook performed better than Amazon. January, they were like pretty, pretty close. Uh, let's just kind of double down on Facebook, right? Uh, so the question is, if I put in another like $5,000 in Facebook, will the gross sales double to uh, 32,000? So basically if I double the Facebook budget, will my sales double? Is that a conclusion I can take away from here? Probably, probably not. Now, that's something right. I should probably add in there. Yeah, right. So uh, I guess um, you know, while 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 this is telling us kind of you know, it's giving us kind of like a ballpark, right? But, but the key here is we don't know whether we don't know how much how many of those how how many dollars from those sales are are due to the ad spend. So we we just know that we spent money and we got orders. But did those orders come from Facebook? And so, so this is an attribution problem, which in um, like a, like in a real world scenario, I would recommend not making any decisions without uh, looking into that kind of attribution. The way, so the way you do it is uh, you you like the, the data that you have. You have uh, you probably have a sales table and a spend table, right? And you're like, uh, yeah. Actually, let's take a look at the the data. Let's say if you have the the raw data file pulled up. Awesome. Uh, I will have to. Find it. Cool. So, so you got, um, I mean, th this is good enough. So you have uh, yeah. three tables. You have uh, ad spend as one table. You have Facebook revenue one and sales revenue uh, from Amazon as one, right? Right. So, um, yeah, you've, you've connected these. Now, part of that connection that you you might want to build, and I, I don't know if the case study data has this kind of thing, but you want, you, you'll want to know at a row by row level which sale can be attributed to um somebody clicking through or viewing um, a Facebook ad or an Amazon ad. That will give you a better measure of the true ROI. Gotcha. So kind of just make it even more granular to see like what exact, cause you know, we could have these sales in these periods, but they can be from other things. So 
That's right. So, so, so the question is, out of the $16,000 coming from Facebook, how many of those were actually because of the ads? Like if you remove the ads, how many would you, like, would you still get like $10,000 in sales from Facebook? All right. So Ash, here's, here's the raw data file. So we have, we have, we essentially have three data sources. So we have ad spend all rolled into one. So we have our Amazon and our Facebook ads. Then we have our uh, Facebook shop. So this is the product ordered is the total sales. And then we have our Amazon seller data. Got it. So gross sales. Okay. So yeah, this, this data set doesn't have like any, um, any way to figure out which sale came from like a click through on an ad or something like that. So um, I, I guess that's uh, not possible with the data at hand in the real world. We want to like, so if I saw this, I would kind of go, if, if I encountered the situation, I would, um, I, I like, I would get on the phone with engineers and ask them what it would take to get that kind of attribution. So to be able to connect the fact that um, the, the, the users who bought every order, did they, um, did they ever click through an ad? Did they view an ad um, and, and only consider those sales? Uh, as part of the ROI calculation. Right. So this is kind of, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Don. David. Um, yeah. So th this is, this is, I love that we're talking about this because in the, in like, so how do you say your company's name? It's, it's Atlassian. Atlassian. Yeah. So you guys have a very sophisticated infrastructure for your marketing analytics. So this company is doing just, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars in revenue or tens of millions of, in revenue. So they don't have that level of sophistication. So this is the data we're working with. Um, so uh, let's think about how to do it like in a simpler way. Um, would you, um, would you think this company might have like a, ju just some reports from Facebook and Amazon that tell you how many, how many people saw, saw an ad and clicked through from it. That could help you like, if you added that information on the dashboard, I feel like it would give you like more context as to what percentage of that Facebook sales of sixteen thousand actually, uh, you know, came from impressions or views on the on the on the ads themselves. Because ultimately, like the measure of ROI you have here is all the sales from Facebook, regardless of whether the user saw the ad or interacted. Right. 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 So, so it's not a true representation of how well did the ad. Did, right. did, and then and then it could be well which ad because you could have multiple i don't know if there's like multiple ads or if there's just if you just consider all ads one right so so let's think about this through like a mental model uh let's just use like a common like uh, conceptual model of like a like a funnel so what happens when you when you put an ad on on facebook uh you you pay facebook your copy gets shown to people so uh that's the first step people see the ad um and uh industry standard for measuring that is impressions. It's kind of like unique people who saw the ad. Um, and people would have to then click through the ad, go on your landing page, uh, add something to their cart, check out, and, and, and then you can say like that order is from Facebook, like from a Facebook ad. Uh, if they only did some of this, then maybe, uh, maybe your ad contributed partially. Uh, to it. So what, what you have here is all the people who bought, um, who bought items from Facebook. If you can, if you can like identify what 
percentage of that you think came from people who actually clicked the ad, that's like a really like your true measure of ROI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that. Yeah, this is just assuming that all of this just, but you know, but in the real world, you wouldn't just assume. Yeah, yeah. So, so this would be like part of a, yeah. So I think it's a decent assumption to make. Let's go into like the actual, um, the visualization itself. Um, yeah, I think the the layouts, the layout's really good. You have summary on the top, you have some detailed charts at the bottom. Um, I would, um, yeah, I think the, the, the most important metric here is actually the second one, it's the ROI. The reason for that is, let's say you build a chart, you're updated next month, right? And you want to you want to see, uh, you want to understand whether your the dynamics of your uh, marketing campaigns are changing. Uh, if you only saw the gross sales and the ad spend, um, you you only have like a limited idea of um, why your ROI is moving. Because uh, think about it, if the ROI changes, it could be because the sales went up or the sales went down or the ad spend went up or the ad spend went down or uh, maybe maybe Facebook's algorithms got better and uh, you know you, you just get like uh, organically better ROI from every dollar you spend. So um, in order to track a signal for those to change, that's, that's where the, the middle um, chart is really important. So if anything changes in your um, like in your marketing uh, environment, that's like the that's the metric that will give you a signal that something is definitely changed or very likely changed. Okay, Ash, I've got some questions from like the, the content creation standpoint. Um, what's funny is that I I knew you were a senior data scientist. I didn't realize you were specializing in marketing analytics. So like I'm literally asking a marketing analytics expert these questions, which is I couldn't plan this better. <laughs> Should I say, like, should I caveat, like, this data set, um, for example, like the Facebook stuff? So what, what we could say is that 100% of Amazon sales are attributed to ads. And then we could say um, we have an estimation that 80% of the Facebook sales are attributed to ads. 20% came from social media. Uh, you could do that. Or um, actually, I think I think to make this uh, an even better case study, you could add a third uh, you know, in addition to the sales for Facebook and sales for Amazon, um, it, very commonly these platforms give you downloads of reports that like uh, on this say, this is how much you spent and this is how many people viewed an ad and this is how many people clicked an ad. I think you can just run some test campaigns on Facebook, download the data and, uh, you know, like build build a couple of new data sets that just have like um, impressions and clicks. If If you add that to your dashboard, it's like, uh, way more uh, informative in terms of like strategy. Okay. Um, what what if I just added a new tab called attribution and I could say on this Facebook tab, I could say social or ad. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. That That's another option. So if you're, if, if you have attribution, that's like the ideal way to do it because then you can go order by order and check whether it came from a person who clicked on the ad. Um, so you guys are seeing behind the the, the curtain here, <laughs> but no, that, that's a really good point. Uh, and that just adds another layer of sophistication to the case study. So that's yeah. fantastic. And and just to go into like some real world marketing analytics here, um, attribution is really hard to build. So it's very expensive to build. It takes engineering resources. Take takes a lot of care. There's a lot of because third party services are involved. It's a lot of the, like assumptions you have to make that might not hold. So uh, another way to get this kind of like 
more accurate impact of how many how many dollars are you spend actually contributed to dollars in revenue? Um, we um, like another approach is to use uh, something called a measured rollout. So when you when you do your your ad campaign, you you, you run it like an A/B test basically, and uh, you look at the outcomes for treatment and from control, and you use um, uh, you, you, you you like measure measure the difference in sales between those two groups to get some idea of what the incremental impact of a dollar spent on uh, marketing is, like really is. Interesting. Okay. Well, what's what's wild is that using just these three data sources, that, that was strong enough of an indication to give this uh, business owner a read on what to do next. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you know, definitely like explore Facebook is like the, the takeaway. Right. I don't understand right. why it's performing better and, uh, you know, how you can use that to your advantage. Well, because what, what I'm thinking of, it, like, this is essentially the first sprint and we're getting a read on the situation. So, and it's an iterative approach. So you do a sprint and you do another sprint and you do another sprint right. and then you, you constantly get an iterative feedback on it. So this sprint one is saying that Facebook, so we're going to test, all right, maybe in the next iteration is that we'll do um, twice as much invested in Facebook and Amazon and then see if that, um, Cause you're right. I mean, for ad spend, like you're going to hit a point of diminishing returns. So maybe that's, maybe that's tapped out. Um, but I mean, part of this is like, this is just a great conduit to have these conversations that I think are not typically being had within a classroom. Yeah. So before you, um, I, you know, I think when I was, when I was learning, um, you know, this, like how, how to build dashboards and stuff, I was really focused on like, uh, you know, like what specific charts to use and like, you know how, how to make it um, how to make it really informative at a glance, but like I, I think like over a few years of experience in the industry, I'm starting to uh, kind of revisit my methodology and like before even putting any charts on the dashboard, really like ask these questions because ultimately it saves you like weeks of iteration if you kind of like start out with a good conceptual uh, model. So, yeah. so how would you input the social or the attribute in a dashboard? Like, how would you put that in there or incorporate this in, into telling the, the end user, you know, where exactly their, um, you know, their ads came from? So, like, uh, probably the simplest way is if you, uh, like, uh, when, when you advertise on these platforms, you get, like, some, some reports on how those ads perform. I would recommend <laughs> taking those reports and uh, just adding adding like impressions and clicks during the same period. So, you know, just like, just like you have January, February, March spend in sales, like actually talk about what that spend got you, how many people uh, saw it, how many people clicked through from it. That will tell you, um, that, will, that will tell you like how many people your ads directly brought into your site. Uh, and in addition to the gross sales, if you actually put down like how many, customers made those sales so uh then then you can compare those two customer numbers like how many people click through your ads how many people actually bought um from those those channels and that hey, would Ash, i can make this i can make this very com this is a this is a complex question abe uh pull up your tableau dashboard uh, my Tableau is, is asking me to find all my data sources and there's no time for that uh, i'm just gonna uh, edit it i'm just gonna edit it in here um, so what about like real quick, what about like, uh, like cost per clicks, uh, putting that in there? Is that something to consider or? 
important. Um, yeah, so cost per click is something to consider here. Um, I would, um, so now we're talking about like building off of, building off of this into like what we might add next. And so definitely like um, impression rate, click-through rate, that kind of thing is like really key. Cost per click is important. Um, it's more important for um, if, if you're trying to optimize the, uh, the lifetime value of the users you acquire from these platforms. So it's, while it's relevant here, I think um, it's, it's more important for the discussion of are we paying too much for uh, compared to what each user is, uh, is buying from us. So it's, uh, it's more of like a PNL profit and loss problem. And uh, yeah, it's related. I, I will put it in like a future sprint if you're developing this dashboard. All right. Um, so Abe, I'm going to answer your question that you had. So, so what you're going to have to do is now that we're adding in this new attribution column here, um, if you recall in the case study, you had to isolate all of the Amazon advertising. You had to pull that out of a column and make that its own separate value. So you did that through um, this calculation right here within Tableau. Why is it not letting it? There it goes. Man, that's going slow. So you do you remember this if then statement? Yep. I remember doing that. So you're gonna what you're gonna have to do is just create another if then statement that um, looks at Facebook. So you're gonna have to take the social out. So you could say if um, you could say value is equal to product order sales if attribution is equal to add. So that's gonna ha- that's how you're going to oh looks like Ash got kicked off. Uh oh. Sorry, folks. I'm back. Welcome back. <laughs> so, so that's you're gonna have to build an if-then statement and pull out the social media. I, I, Ash, I love that we t- talked about this, and this totally wasn't this. None of this was planned because um, both my social media manager and my intern—I don't know if they're on here—bailed last minute. <laughs> so this is a happy little Bob Ross accident. Um, I, I like this. This adds a, lev- a level of um, sophistication to the, the the case study. Yeah, no, I mean this is this is literally what what I do every day is uh, you know stare at other people's spreadsheets on Zoom calls or like Tableau dashboards and you know, we <laughs> to each other. We like this is this is the kind of conversation I have with my with my like uh, data science and analytics teammates. Like, you know, are we uh, perfect? We have all the columns we need. Do we do we do we put everything on there? Like, can we trust this? You know what? And I, and I'm like trying to fabricate the backstory of this, which is kind of what I like. It's, it's almost like historical fiction with these case studies of like, I can't give you the exact data that the client had. I can't give you their, I have to anonymize it and then make it like a little bit interesting and unique and different from the real world. So what we could say is that, okay, we can calculate attribution for social media by saying um, they entered in a specific promo code at checkout. Oh yeah. So that, so so yeah, so it, attribution doesn't have to be necessarily super complex. Like that's a relative like multiple types of attribution. The, the one you suggested is really good where like, you know, the ad mentions a coupon code and then people who use that coupon code can be tracked. Um, like there, there's still an edge case there where basically uh, you can click through the ad and buy something without using the coupon code. Uh, and, you know, like you basically, unless you measure, you don't know how big or small that, that edge case is. Right. So this is a small enough you like company that like, we're going to have to make those assumptions. We don't have the data engineering team to like put resources behind that. Um, That's fair. At that point you're like, okay, you know, like we got too deep in, let's just kind of, you know, paper over the, the reality with some assumptions and and go for it. 
Right. Well, because it's like you get to this point where it's like um, we have to make a strategic decision and it's not perfect and you don't know every single variable. But if this is a good enough signal to say, all right, this is what we're doing moving forward. It's better than nothing. It's It's definitely better than nothing. So I I, want to be clear, like uh, where I'm coming from, from these questions, like purely academic. I'm like, you know, about everything right now. Um, in, in the real world, like we would not try to build any of this unless it really gives us like, uh, I don't know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in value, like a million dollars in value. I don't know. It, it totally depends on what the other opportunities you have are. Um, right. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of like an impact at scale. Like these things can really like add up. So, uh, that's kind of why I'm like, you know, just, uh, completely just like trained to think about all the edge cases now. But uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my I don't know, big, uh, big corp industry perspective. Right. As the bootstrappy entrepreneur here, I'm saying, uh, we're going to, we're going to do the attribution by saying if they entered in promo code, Abe, what, what was it? What was your uh, wrestling name? Uh, I was like Abe the Data Marine Diaz. So Abe the Data Marine Diaz, then that is a social media attribution. (laughs) I mean, isn't this fun that we're we're like building out this case study in real time? Like, I mean, the core of it's there, but like this is this is an this is a conduit to have a a whole conversation about attribution now. And I'm just going to tack this on the end of the to the um, end of the case study to like give another iteration of it. um, so this is a really good case study. I feel like you can talk about a lot of different topics with this. So it's you know it's broad and uh, it has a lot of scope for growth. Well, what's what's funny is that um, I'm literally adding in like these kind like I'll probably take a snippet from this this podcast live stream and add that into the course to say, all right, here's how a true marketing analytics data scientist would look at this, and then maybe you like the way that you're describing attribution. I can just like throw that in the course. <laughs> Because it's, it's relevant. Go for it. Go for it. Um, well, because I guess also, too, I wanted to ask you, are you interested in doing a guest lecture sometime next semester? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, um, it to- totally depends on uh, the topic. I'm happy to contribute in areas that I'm, um, you know, like confident with. But yeah. Um, so I think next semester I'm going to have the students doing some creating some ad campaigns for the learning platform. So I'd love to have like a true marketing analytics expert come in and like talk about it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Be fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning too. It's my first like marketing analytics gig. I've been in like product analytics and, you know, kind of like uh, uh, field ops uh, related stuff before. But uh, you know, I, I found that like, um, like working with students and teaching really helps me kind of uh, like sharpen what, what I'm learning too. So happy to do that. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's funny because I, I, the teaching thing, it, it feels almost like philanthropic slash my, it's like my passion project. It's just fun. You know, I get to like interact with, and these students are so impressionable. It's so, it's so wild to see like, um, I, especially because I think most of their professors are super boring. So I, I'm trying to make like engaging content that's like new and introduce them to like, uh, did, did I tell, do you, are you familiar with like what we did last semester? Uh, I'm not. So what we did in last semester for the capstone course is that I paired the students to 
to two of my clients and they did real world projects. We met on Mondays to like work on those as like, like a group effort. And then Wednesdays we did a podcast episode where we had like Danny Lauer from Amazon talk about like what he looks for when he's hiring analysts for his team. And then they got to do like an interactive segment, kind of like this, like what you did with a, where you, where you like, cool, this is fun. I feel like, um, you know, for, for me, this is really like, uh, if I wasn't on this call, this is probably what I'd be doing. Um, <laughs> at, at work, so, like uh, I, I think it's a really good exercise and very representative of the kind of conversations you might have in the workplace. Really, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, like, it, it feels like low pressure. Like Abe doesn't seem like he's sweating bullets too bad. Yeah. So, so uh, it's cool. it's very helpful, and I, and, I, and I do appreciate it. You know, this is this is this is you know it helps everyone learn. And, you know, hopefully, other people aren't scared to get you know be asked to come on a on a podcast at the last second. And, you know. <laughs> I think my point here is uh, like the probably like the biggest takeaway I would ask anybody to take from this discussion is you you have data, you're building a dashboard, but the thing is do you want to measure what you need to or what you have or what you can? And uh, there's, there's an intersection. Um, but most of the time you may, or a lot of the time you probably are not able to measure what you need to. And the, the struggle is trying to figure out how to build up to that point. So like all the approximations are, are great. I think like for, for a lot of, uh, a lot of use cases, making assumptions approximations are great. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to do it, but, um, you know, like the, it, it, the, the more, the more your use cases scale, the more these like weird edge cases and, uh, kind of like, um, kinda, like logical outcomes that you may assume are like rare, they, they may actually be more common than you thought, or even if they're rare, they could be expensive when, when, when they come up. Um, so, so there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah. Um, what's funny is like now, now my mind is like creatively brainstorming of like, oh, well, we can track attribution for each of these ad campaigns by a specific, we can say like, um, summer sale or winter sale or spring sale or whatever. And then we can have that attribution. Hey, let me add this to the stream. So oh, like, you know what? I think, um, so, so going just the jamming off of that, I think what you could do is you could say that. Uh, at least one of the campaigns was for a specific product that's only offered through that campaign, right? So like the only way somebody buys that product is by clicking through that campaign. So this also gives you like kind of an imperfect data example to share with students where, Hmm. you know, you have attribution for some campaigns, but not all campaigns. How would you present this information? And it really like gives you a real type of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Cool. Well, we just yeah, made you know, like, case study. Like, you exclude stuff from this perfect data set, and uh, you know that that kind of gives you like, oh, you know what? Like, we don't know, we don't know yeah. what's really happening here. Cool. Well, this this was like a, this was fun. Um, totally spontaneous too. Uh, it's it's funny how we can just like iterate and like incorporate people's questions from chat and stuff like that. Because um, what we did in the last live stream, where me and Al are. Uh, reviewing the Google Analytics uh, certification program with Coursera is we brought up this case study um, raw data file and we're looking at the data quality issues because that was like relevant to what they were talking about. So it's like, yeah, I'm trying, well, I think part of what's missing in the education space is like seeing real world, like relevant applications of concepts. Like it, it, 
it just seems like high level theory in a lot of situations. Uh, it does. Yeah. Until, until you get burned by it. I feel like, uh, you know, a, a lot of questions that I went into today, I, I know it's not the direction that, that you probably originally envisioned, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's basically coming from uh, just, just experience of having needed to ask those questions. Well, I mean, I, I feel like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this back full circle. to like this concept I mentioned, like the very start of like this, um, like servant leadership, like we are, this is kind of a meta thing. We are demonstrating what a good client meeting would be like, or a good meeting with your manager where it's like, you don't know what's going on. You don't like, uh, if you come into solving a problem with a fixed outcome or like, this is how it's going to be, then you're probably going to be wrong because it's like, it's about your ego and your assumptions instead of like figuring out like, okay, where are you at? What's going on? And then like creatively problem solving. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. I would go as far as to say that uh, the conversation we had is probably like pretty close to, um, you know, like the the like case study interviews you get for data science. Mm. Uh, I feel like if you wind up having a conversation that's maybe not as in-depth as we had uh, just now, but like kind of along the same lines, considering things that are not necessarily in the scope of the stated problem, but like really, really relevant and will come into play like in future iterations of the same discussion. I feel like if you have this kind of discussion with your interviewer, you're like solid. This is like, this is the objective. They're trying to see whether they can work with you at this kind of like uncertain uh, problem environment. Yeah, yeah, cool. Abe, I'm, I'm glad that you are part of this conversation. Yeah, me too. No, <laughs> no this, was, uh, this was legit. Awesome, well, it's uh, 1.30, so. I think we should kind of wrap things up. Ash, where can people find you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Or if you want them to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, yeah, like, um, you know, uh, I, I, I got tagged in uh, John David's post. So if, if you have him on LinkedIn, uh, go, uh, go find me. And uh, I will just, uh, yeah, and um, I'm not on, like, a lot of, social media platforms, but I'm around. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to help people with, uh, with interview prep, resume review, um, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Um, feel free to hit me up. Awesome. Well, Ash, it was a pleasure meeting you and thank you for spending like so much time and also like your creative energy on this. This was a blast. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. I'll see you guys later. Also, thanks for tuning in. See ya. In this case study course, you're gonna learn three things. Number one, you're going to improve your business acumen. This means that you're going to learn about how business works. Then we're going to move into the second point, which is analytics hard skills. So once we understand how the business works, we're then going to use some business intelligence tools, specifically Tableau, to solve the business problem and uncover insights. And then the third point, which is very, very important, are the soft skills. And the whole last chapter is dedicated to how you can more effectively explain your findings and also talk about past projects in an interview setting. To be a little bit more specific, you're going to be calculating the return on investment of two different marketing channels. So we're going to be looking at our Amazon and our Facebook ad spend. 
And there are three different data sources. So our first data source is our cost data source. And this is where we can see all of the ad spend and it's in one data source. Then there is a sales data source for Facebook and a sales data source for Amazon. The challenge is that we're going to have to combine all three of these data sources together and then isolate our spending data and associate it with the relevant sales data source. By the end of the project, you're going to figure out which of these has the highest return on investment. But you're also going to have a challenge where you're going to visualize the data and see if there are any insightful trends that you could communicate to our end client. So if you're up for a challenge, then sign up and let's get started. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.